Um, recently, my car made a noise. Who, who has a car that's made a noise before? Um, who knows? Usually the way to solve that is just to turn the radio up. Does anyone do that? Is there any radio turner-upperers here this morning? Your car starts making a noise and you say, in Jesus' name, I rebuke that hill song, full volume, whatever worship song I'm listening to, turn it up, that'll fix it. Um, the issue was my, made a, a, my car made a noise and then it had a reaction to the noise. And the reaction was it instantly stopped working um, in the middle of the road, which was not a good thing. So I was able to roll off the side and, and I just knew this is... This is not a good noise. This is, this is a bad noise. And I called my mechanic and I told him the noise it made. And he said, that's not a good noise. And I said, amen. I know. Um, and then I got a tilt trade to his, his place. He said, I'll have a look at it. And within a couple of minutes, he came back and he said, I think it's time to say goodbye to the Navara. And I said, oh, no, I've been hashtagging nav life everywhere. Now, now it's, I'm in the market for a new car. And, it, you know, it was time to say, it was, it was a bit of a write-off. He said, it, it's probably going to cost you more to fix this car than what the car is actually worth. Who, who's ever been put in that position before? And, you know, it's time to say goodbye. Time to have a little, a little ceremony. Say goodbye to your car. Uh, thank it for all the good times. But recently, I actually sold it. I just put it on Marketplace, you know, as is, where is, come and take it. I'm not selling parts because I don't want a car with one door and no wheels sitting in my driveway. I don't want to be that neighbor. And someone came in, they, they put it on a tilt tray, and, and I was talking to them about it. And I was like, you know, what, what, just out of interest, like, what are you planning on, on doing it with, with it? Are you going to part it out or are you going to scrap it? Like, what's the plan? And they said, no, we actually have an engine for this car because that's what happened. The turbo exploded and the engine thought, mmm, yummy. I'll eat all the little bits of that turbo. And <laughs> the engine then blew up. Um, they said, we actually have an engine for this car. It's not a, it's, we don't think it's a write-off. Like, we can actually repair this. We can restore this. We're actually going to, we're going to take this and make it our family car. And I thought that is, I was so excited because, you know, you get a little bit attached to your car. And I was like a bit sad thinking it's just going to get put in some metal squasher or something like that. It's like, no, we're going to give this a breath of fresh life. And, and I just had the feeling, you know, as, as, I was, as I was thinking about this this morning, that, that some of us have things in our life that we've actually written off. That we've said that is done, that is gone, that is over. It might be a dream, it might be a relationship, it might be a person, it might even be yourself. And you've just said that what it would take to fix that is worth more than even the energy it's worth putting into thinking that. I called the message this morning, repairable write-off. Turn the person beside you and say, repairable write-off. Repairable write-off. There are some things that we're ready to write off that God is actually eager to restore. We think it's dead, gone, buried, but just like that song, our God is a God who turns graves into gardens. He's a God who turns bones into armies. He's a God who turns seas into highways. Our God does not say it's finished when we say it is finished. And I came to tell somebody this morning that there is hope for your situation, that what you think is a write-off, God says, there's plenty there for me to use. We're on the road to Pentecost over the next kind of few weeks as a church. And this morning, I want to look at one of the, one of the in-between stories, one of the stories between Jesus's resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Um, 
And over the next few weeks, we're going to be journeying towards Pentecost. And I want to look at Peter, because I think Peter is a great kind of example to look at when you, when you think of somebody who could have been written off. Peter had so much promise. Jesus actually said to Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church. Like that's a big, who would like Jesus to say something like that to them? Actually, I believe Jesus does call you to that. But Jesus says to Peter, I will build the rock. Uh, you are the rock on which I will build my church. He says, the gates of hell won't even stand against it. He says, I will give you the keys to heaven. Jesus is speaking life into Peter. So much promise. But then after Jesus is arrested, he kind of seems to throw it all away. We'd be familiar with the story. Peter being taken into um, or following Jesus to where he'd been taken after he was arrested. We can read it in Luke 22. Uh, It says, They led Jesus into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, and said, who's been kindling their fire recently? Um, it's getting cold. Uh, so they, they kindled the fire and sat down together. Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, as in this man was with Jesus. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, Peter said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not. Peter replied, I love how it says man. It's like, man, I am not one of them. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered what, remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Talk about feeling like a write-off. This is Peter who just verses earlier is saying, I am willing to go to the grave for you, Jesus. If, If that's what it requires, I'll be put in prison for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, actually, you're going to deny me three times. Such promise. What a calling. But here he is betraying, disowning Jesus. And three in, in the Bible, it's actually symbolic of completion. It's not just a random number. It's like really stamping home. He has not just let it slip, oh, I accidentally disowned Jesus. He completely and utterly denied and disowned him. And what stood out to me as I read this story was, this is in Jesus's presence. Jesus looks at him and he knows that he's disowned Jesus. This is not Jesus is in some other room somewhere. This is blatantly in front of Jesus saying, no, I, I don't know him. And Peter is left heartbroken. Like, surely there's no coming back from this. And I'm sure we've all all felt something along these lines. Maybe we've said something which we wish we could just suck back out of the air. Have you ever ever said that? You said something and just instantly you're like, that was not good. (laughs) Maybe you did something that seems catastrophic for your future. Maybe you hurt someone. Maybe it even wasn't something that was so big, but just over time, it's like life just doesn't seem to be where I expected it to be. Maybe like Peter, you felt such promise and vision and and purpose for your life when you were younger or in earlier days. But now you're kind of thinking, this isn't how I felt my faith would look. I used to be so passionate about Jesus, but now it just doesn't seem as important. 
as I was preparing, I was feeling maybe there's even some people here this morning and, and even on the way here, you were pre- you're prepared to write off your faith because it's just not how you expected it to be. But can I encourage us this morning that your life is not a write-off. You are not a write-off. Our God is in the business of restoration. Our God is in the business of taking things when they look like there is no hope, no future, no purpose, and lifting it back beyond where it ever even was. And that's what's so powerful about the Peter story is that it doesn't end there. John 21, we see this appearance of Jesus after his after he's, um, after he's risen from the grave. And this amazing miracle takes place where he calls out to, to the disciples on their boat as they're fishing. They get this massive catch of fish and then they realize it's Jesus. And Peter is so excited. It says that he jumps out of the boat and he swims 100 meters to shore to see Jesus. I'm like, that's excitement because I, don't, I can't swim 100 meters. I can swim about 25 meters and I'm done. And Peter's like, this boat is too slow. I'm getting out of the boat. I'm jumping. I'm going to, to, going to Jesus. And we pick up the story. It says, when they landed... They saw a fire of burning coals and there were fish on it and some bread. Come on, sorry, some breakfast barbecue is what they're greeted with. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, he answered, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I think we can see something really powerful in this story. Three times, Peter denies Jesus. Three times, Jesus offers a road to restoration. Three times, complete and utter denial. Three times, complete and total restoration. Come on, Jesus' heart is total restoration. Jesus' heart is not part restoration. It is complete and total restoration. For every time you walk away, Jesus is creating a path back to restoration. Come on, we can praise God because he's good, right? Isn't that awesome? Jesus' heart is complete and total restoration. He's in the business of restoration. No matter how bad, broken, how far gone, who's written me off, Jesus says, I can still work there. John three sixteen to 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Save is the picture of salvation, the Greek word sozo, it's restoration, it's completion, it's taking the broken pieces and putting them back together. It's not just Jesus came to hand out tickets to heaven like, so that when the, the rapture comes along, you can say, I've got my ticket, you can get on the bus to heaven. No, 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 no. Jesus came to restore us to who he designed us to be. God's heart is complete and total restoration. I wonder if there's areas in your life that seem unrestorable, that seem gone. Just know that Jesus is in the business of total restoration. He is a healer. 
He makes a way where there seems no way. His mercies are new every morning. Jesus is in the business of restoration. Turn the person beside you and say, Jesus is in the business of restoration. Nice. I'm giving you increasingly longer ones. By the end, we're going to be quoting Psalm 139. No, no, we won't be doing that. I just want to break it down further because I think it's, it's one thing to say Jesus is in the business of total restoration. But I just want to look at three things that we can really see Jesus do with Peter. The first thing is that Jesus restores value. He sends a very clear message to Peter. You are worth restoring. You are worth restoring. Many of you would know uh, my dad and his love of old rusty cars. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's his hobby. It's his passion. And it's pretty amazing because I, I remember the first time he came home with an old rusty car and it was like, I think we need an intervention here. Like, I think, should we pray for him? Like, he's just, he's just come home. He's so excited about this thing that has no doors, no engine, no window. It came more in boxes. More was in boxes than was on the trailer when the car got there. Um, and it was like, what, what could you possibly see in this? Like, to most people, that's junk. It doesn't drive. It's not useful. Why would you ever spend money on that? You see, Dad, he knew the value that was in it. He knew who the car was made by. He knew what kind of car it was. And actually what made it more valuable than anything was inside the engine bay, there was a little tag, a little confirmation, a little, um, a little badge, I guess you could say, that said, this is what this car is. This is who made it. This is genuine. That this car is not just, it's not a fake. This is the real deal. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22. It says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put the spirits in our heart as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You know, just like dad knew that the value in the car was the stamp that was on it, Jesus has also put his stamp on our lives to say that your value does not come by what you do. Your value comes from who, whose you are, from who created you, to the purpose that he's put in you. That doesn't matter how broken down, torn apart your life might feel, Jesus can restore value to you, not because you've impressed him, not because you've done something awesome, but because of who you are. He created you, he created you, and he put his stamp upon you. You know, I did some research into um, repairable write-offs because as we were looking for new cars, um, one came up and it was like repaired write-off. And I was like, that sounds suspicious. Um, <laughs> that, like, that doesn't sound legit. And, but interestingly, especially in classic cars, a repaired write-off is even a car that's been completely written off, if the owner sees enough value in it to restore it and it's restored to a high enough level, it can actually be re-registered again hey, I've got good news for someone this morning, that Jesus is so willing. If, so, it was, it's, if someone is willing to restore it, they can restore it. Jesus is so willing. He sees the value in you. He sees so much value in you that he gave his life as the ultimate sign that the price has been paid, that we can receive forgiveness, that we can have hope, that we can be restored. Come on, friends, this is what's called the gospel, the good news. He's willing to pay the price to show that once and for all, you are valuable, that no matter how damaged or broken, you may feel you are worth restoring. 
You are worth fixing. You have got a better future ahead of you. Not because of what you do, but because of who made you. And your value means that your situation is important to God. Why would God want to heal me? Why would God want to restore my marriage? Why would God want to restore my peace? Because he cares about you. Because he sees so much value in you. When he sees you, he doesn't see the external junk. He sees the stamp on your heart saying, this is who I belong to. This is who created me. So Jesus restores value. Jesus restores purpose is the second thing. Peter was the rock on which I will build my church. And then Jesus comes and reaffirms, hey, if you love me, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, care for my sheep, care for the flock. What's he doing? He's reaffirming, Peter, you still have a purpose. Peter, you might have thought you threw it away in the courtyard, but Peter, you actually have a purpose. You know, sometimes we can feel a loss of purpose. I don't know if you've ever felt like this. You felt a little bit purposeless in life. And maybe in part, it's because sometimes as a church, we've made purpose seem like this 15-point plan from God that falls out of heaven. And it's like, I know my purpose. And it's like this very specific thing that God has called us to. Maybe a better way to view purpose is as divine usefulness. Like God looks at you and says, you are very, very useful. I can actually do something with you and through you. You see, purpose isn't something that's just out there. Purpose is something that's right now. Purpose isn't something to achieve. Purpose isn't something that we should be looking forward to. Purpose is something that we should be walking in every day. That every day, God has a use for my life. Every day, my life is important. In my family, I am useful. In my workplace, God sees me as useful. God can restore purpose to the purposeless. He can use you right where you are. Romans 8.28 says, And we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. In all things. God can restore purpose to seasons and places that might seem totally meaningless. God can restore purpose where it seems like there couldn't be any. Maybe we look to God and we say, I don't have much. I'm, I'm not that gifted. I'm not that talented. God says, I can work with that. I can restore purpose to you. So Jesus restores purpose, and then Jesus restores power. You know, in the the process of restoring a car, there comes a point in which the engine's actually got to go back into it. Which point that is, I'm not sure, um, because I have never restored a car. My Uncle Shane could probably tell you the point at which you need to put the engine in. But a little bit like my car, my car had all the parts and no power. It had everything it needed, It still wasn't running. It had all the parts and no power. And and life can feel a little bit like that sometimes. It's like everything seems to be here, but I just don't have the energy or the, the motivation or the inspiration to kind of get after all that God has for me. This week, a, a, a team of us went to the ACC National Conference, um, and, and the theme was really seeing the Holy Spirit move in a fresh and powerful way. And I remember standing there the first time, and it's a massive auditorium filled with probably 2,000 pastors um, from our movement, all worshiping God. And, and, and I was sitting there, and I was thinking, God, I, I, I know that you have a purpose for me. I, I know you have a great future for me, 
But in that moment, I just felt so overwhelmed. It was like, how could I, how could I, God? How could I, how could you use me? How could, how can I make that happen? It just seems so big. I mean, I know how to make maybe one day happen, but like, how do I do all those things that are required to kind of be a part of what you want me to do? And then one of the, one of the speakers shared this scripture. It's in Zechariah 4 verse 6. And it says, So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. 50 days after Jesus, uh, 50 days after Peter denies Jesus, he has a transformational experience with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room. And then Peter, who denied Jesus to a servant girl, stands up in front of crowds of people and starts to preach the good news. He starts to preach things, uh, quoting Joel, where he says, In the last days, God says that he'll pour out his spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is Peter who denied Jesus, now standing up, filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit, preaching to the multitudes. And it says, And that day, 3,000 were added to their day, not by my power, not by my strength, but by your spirit, Lord. I just feel like there's some people here this morning, you're tired out, you don't know how to keep going, you almost know what God's got ahead of you, but it just seems so big. Come on, not by your might, not by your power, but by his spirit. I think, church, it's time that we had a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, that we actually had a fresh encounter of the Holy Spirit. I think that the Holy Spirit is hungry to fill us again. I believe that he is doing something new. Even this morning as we worshipped, it was like, wow, there's, there's something happening. We had a, pre, a pre-service prayer meeting this morning um, at 8.30. We got together, uh, the team, and we, we prayed. And it was so, you couldn't hear who was praying because people were just, the, the Spirit was moving afresh. People speaking out, building themselves up, speaking out in tongues. It was so loud. It was like I was trying to wrap the prayer meeting up and I couldn't tell if anyone else was still praying because everyone was praying. And it was like, where do I, how do I wrap this thing up? And it's like, man, the Holy Spirit's doing something new. The Holy Spirit's moving in a fresh and powerful way. I want to encourage us as we go on this journey to Pentecost, get ready for a touch of the Holy Spirit. I think for a while, we've got to remember New Hope is a Pentecostal church, right? If you come in here and you're like, what's this talk about the Pentecost? It's like, we're Pentecostal church. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that miracles are still on the menu. We believe that Jesus can still heal. We believe that Jesus can make a way where there seems no way. We believe that sometimes God does things a little bit weird. And we're not trying to be weird for weird's sake, but man, there's power in the Holy Spirit. It's the engine that drives the restoration that is my life, is the power of the Holy Spirit. This week, that was probably what impacted me the most, that scripture. And then I just had this experience with the Holy Spirit where I was just just totally refreshed. I didn't even realize I was tired. I thought I was good. I thought I had energy. And then it was like, whoa, there's so much more. I think even this morning, you could have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that transforms the way that you see your week, that transforms the, the, the problems that you might be facing. There is power in the Holy Spirit. I really believe in the next few weeks, we're going to see people healed. We're going to see people find freedom. We're not going to apologize for seeing the Holy Spirit move. 
in a powerful way, not by might or power, but by His Spirit. So where does this leave us? I wonder if there's any areas of your life that you see as a write-off, a write-off. Maybe something that you've given up on. You might have been believing for healing. Might have been a broken relationship that you were hoping would be restored. Chances are, as I've spoken, that things actually come to mind. I just want to encourage us that this morning, we have an opportunity to put our hope back in the restorative power of Jesus Christ. This morning, you could experience the beginning of restoration. And that's the thing. And that's the second question is, are you willing to go on the journey of restoration? God can do a lot in a moment. But sometimes we underestimate what God can do through the consistency of following Him one step at a time. Restoration is sometimes a moment, a moment kind of thing, but often it's a process. Often it's a process of letting God work through and work with. It's a moment, but it's also a journey. And I believe that even as I'm saying that, maybe you're there and you're like, oh, journey. I wish it was just done. I really think that, that that fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, it's the power to keep going. It's the power to push through. It's the power to keep believing. It's the power to keep choosing hope in the Holy Spirit. The final thought is, are you ready to take a seat at the table? I might just get the band back if that's cool. Are you ready to take a seat at the table? Peter's restora- restoration, it started with an invitation to the table. Jesus getting his barbecue on, um, he got the Weber Q out. Um, maybe not. <laughs> he's got the fish on there. He's got some bread. And he says, Peter, would you come and eat with me? Come as you are. Not, hey, fix yourself up and then I can do something with you. But actually, if you would bring your brokenness to the table, your hurt to the table, Jesus says, I can actually work with that. It's not, that's not, the gospel isn't clean yourself up so you can be good for God. The gospel is, doesn't matter how dirty you might feel, God is not far from you. He is close to you. He is willing to work in your life if you would just open your heart and come to the table. And today you have that invitation to come as you are, to surrender control over, and to say, Lord, have your way.